The Merriam-Webster Dictionary describes the word vagabond as a noun, adjective, or verb, depending on the use in a sentence. Vagabond, used as an adjective, is described as such. Moving from place to place without a fixed home, a relating to or characteristic of a wanderer, leading an unsettled, irresponsible, or disreputable life. In this episode, I'm going to tell you a story about another member of the inaugural Hall of Fame class, and his nickname was the Vagabond Halfback. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step up for DeLorean, the date is November 27th, 1903, and we are in New Richmond, Wisconsin, the birthplace of our hero. And our hero this time is John Victor McNally, more famously known as Johnny Blood McNally, who would become a household name in his time. One reason is because he was known as one of the sport's most remarkable individuals. And that wasn't just on the field. That had to do with a lot of his antics off the field. For this, he would be given the nickname Vagabond Halfback and the Magnificent Screwball. So let's step it back a little bit. He was born into a rich family. And this uh, rich family had newspaper publishers and paper bill owners. So let's just say he did not need to play football for a living. He could have just kind of, you know, been part of the family business. But he was, uh, like I said the Vagabond Halfback, and he was a little bit unique. He graduated high school at the age of 14, and at the time he was kind of a smallish kid, so he didn't really have this kind of athletic build and didn't really excel at sports at the time because, I mean, 14, think about it. If you graduate high school now, you're 18 years old, so that's like a huge gap for that kind of growth spurt that you're going to get. But of course, we would not be having an episode of the Football History Dude if he did not grow into the stature that was able to play professional football. So he would end up playing for college, of course. But legend has it that he still had one year of college eligibility when he decided to head off into the pros and make a little bit of quiche on the side. So what he did was he created an alias. As at the time, you know, back in the 1920s, the players would create different kind of nicknames to protect their college eligibility just in case, you know, they had to go back to the college ranks, which at the time made sense because, as we've discussed in the past, college reigned supreme. And everyone has their different stories of how they get their nicknames or they just decide to make them up. But this one came uh, especially unique because, as we've discussed, he has always got to do something that is different. This is a quote from the Pro Football Hall of Fame of how he decided to call himself Johnny Blood. And here it goes. He and a friend passed a movie theater where the movie, Blood and Sand, was playing. Suddenly, McNally exclaimed to his friend, That's it. You be sand, I'll be blood. So Johnny Blood it was through 14 NFL seasons. And throughout his 14 NFL seasons, he would wreak havoc on the NFL. From Again, from the Pro Football Hall of Fame website, I have another kind of excerpt, and it goes as such. A 6-foot, 1-inch, 188-pound blood was unbelievably fast a superb running back, and possibly the finest receiver in the National Football League at the time. 
until Don Hudson came along, of course, but some still argued that he made the more impossible catches. And me, I'm kind of a likening it to nowadays. Sure, Antonio Brown might be the best in football at the moment, but I'm telling you, Odell Beckham, that dude makes more impossible catches than anybody else in the league. Talked about it before, he broke the internet against the Dallas Cowboys when he had that one-handed catch out of nowhere. And it sounds like Johnny Blood was kind of the same way. You had Don Hudson, Antonio Brown. You had Johnny Blood, and that was Odell Beckham, which... As I'm thinking about it, Odell Beckham was kind of a strange cat off the field as well, so I would say the comp fits. But that was not all that he could do. He could also throw passes and punt with the best of them. And on defense, he was a ball hawk. He was also a deadly tackler. Like we've discussed in the past, these guys were playing the entire game. So even if we were talking about statistical performances, it's not even fair to judge because he might have played 14 seasons but he put twice as much wear and tear on his body because he would play offense, then he would proceed to go on the defense, and he would smash into those guys to try to force that ball back to get it for his own team so he could play once again on offense. And to give you kind of an idea of what the players at his time thought of, you know, what Johnny Blood was all about, there's a quote from Don Hudson interview where the host asks to Don Hudson, a question about, uh, you know, tell me about Johnny McNally. And Don goes as such. Uh, well, due to the length of time I'm going to give on this program, I don't think I can start a McNally. You should have a whole serial on him running once a week for an hour, end quote. And I'll go ahead and include a link to this video in the show notes for you. And by the way, you can find the show notes at thefootballhistorydude.com and also make sure you mash that little subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you get the hottest freshest out the press episodes each and every week but now let's get into his uh professional nfl career he played for uh, five teams overall throughout his career but the first three really didn't matter a whole lot because he didn't really make his statement on the league uh the first one well in no particular order as stated he was the vagabond so he was bouncing all over the place he played for ernie nevers with the duluth eskimos Then he also played for John Bryan with the Milwaukee Badgers and Fats Henry at the Pottsville Maroons. But his biggest damage came as a member of the Green Bay Packers. Now we're going to take it back a little bit to his time with the Green Bay Packers and Curly Lambeau. We talked about that guy last episode. Now he targeted Johnny Blood along with Cal Hubbard and Mike Michalski as key pickups for him to turn his Green Bay team into a powerhouse. And it's kind of like a little bit of a a teaser for you. We get to learn about Cal Hubbard's career next episode. But the Packers announced Blood's signing on August 27th of 1929, and his tear on and off the field would proceed from there. And although he had many different kind of plays that would be considered, you know, highlight real specialty, one of his most famous plays came against the Providence Steamrollers. Now, let's kind of like visualize this. The Packers, they had the ball at the 15-yard line, so they have a fair distance to go. And a big play at the time was called the 69, where the fullback would take the handoff from Johnny Blood, while the end would kind of like, you know, fake taking the handoff on the round, kind of like the reverse guy. Then they also had a different version of the 69 called the 69X, where it was the, the basically the same thing, where the fullback would come through, you know, they'd fake it to him, they'd 
pull it out of his belly. And then he would proceed to give it to the end around, or, you know, what we nowadays call pretty much the reverse. So, Johnny, Johnny Blood being the, let's uh, call him the improvisational mastermind guru or something like that. That's what he was. He called an audible. In the huddle, Johnny called 69XX. His teammates were looking around at each other and then they said, dude, we don't have such a play. And he responded as such. You do now. Just go through the sequence of 69 and I'll do the rest. And I think you know where this is going. Johnny Blood fakes to the fullback. Then he fakes to the end around. He says, whoop, I got the ball. He takes it, proceeds to do his best impersonation of Alvin Kamara down the field, you know, zigzagging around for an 85-yard scamper. And he would proceed to score that touchdown which he had an unofficial total of 37 touchdowns as a member of the Green Bay Packers. And that was some crazy antics on the field, but he was probably most known for his uh, meliandering. I don't know if that's the right word, something. Uh, story, you know, being like a big kid. And after one of their league championships, they had a victory party on the train back to Wisconsin. And I don't know what he said or did to arouse such a frantic, upset, angry kind of craziness of Laverne Dillwig, who was one of their big tackles at the time. He got him flustered and crazy and angry and upset all the way to the point of which he was willing to chase Johnny Blood from one end of the train to the other. And basically trying to, I don't know, whoop up all over on him, I guess. And of course, you know, Blood being Johnny, he had to do something crazy. He would proceed to hoist himself onto the top of the moving train he would run down the length of the cars and he would end up hopping down inside the engineer's booth so all of a sudden this guy jumps out of the sky and you got this engineers going huh what's going on here and you know again another legend of course but they say that he kind of befriended them for the rest of the trip and then another story tells about him and his off the field antics of just always trying to get one up and stuff and it was at an away game in los angeles johnny found himself low on funds, you know, he got no cheddar to go do whatever he got to do over there in Los Angeles, and he would decide to ask Curly Lambeau for a 10 cents advance. Now, that doesn't seem like that much, but, you know, maybe he had to go buy a milk or something, I don't know, probably wasn't a milk, it's probably a beer, but hey, I'm not here to judge. Curly was all like, no way, dude, leave me alone, and he told him, do not, I repeat, do not come to my room and ask me for money because I am going to lock the door, so don't come to my door. And Johnny thought to himself, he said, hmm, he said, don't come to my door. He never said anything about don't come to my window or the window not being closed. So he used the elevator to go up to the eighth floor. He would step out onto the ledge, shimmy across eight floors, up, you know, barely on the ledge, just kind of creeping his toes over the edge and trying to get over to that room where Curly Lambeau was sitting. And as he was doing this, a teammate saw him and said, is that you up there, Johnny? And that is the name of the Sports Illustrated article that we get. Pretty much Johnny, he's up there saying, yeah, dude, it's me. You know, nonchalantly like, hey, what's up? And he would end up leaping into Curly's window and he would hold out his hand and he would demand for some money again. Curly basically gave in at this point. He's like, here, take my money. Get out of here. Just don't come back. Then in 1934, the Packers would sell Johnny Blood to the Steelers. And this was kind of culminated from... Back in November of the previous year, or around, you know, the fall, he came to one of the practices unfit to practice. So Curly suspended him for the next three games. But his time with, uh, his first stint with Pittsburgh, it it didn't go so well. It was an injury-riddled season, and 
Johnny Blood really wanted to get back with the Packers. So he had to find a way to finagle himself into the good graces of Curly Lambeau. He thought, hey, if I can show him that I can still play, then maybe I got a shot. So what he did in one of the exhibition games against the Packers was he would join the Chippewa Falls Marines and he would play against the Packers. He also played for the Lacrosse Old Style Loggers and play another game against the Packers. So basically, Lambeau, he had no choice because he saw that he could still play. So he would resign him and then he would play two more years with the Green Bay Packers. And overall, he played a very big role in leading the Packers to three straight NFL championships between 1929 and 1931. Then they won another in 1936, you know, that second time he played with the Green Bay Packers. And after the 1936 season, he would arrive in Pittsburgh to become the player and coach for the 1937 season. But at the time, they weren't called the Pittsburgh Steelers, they were still known as the Pirates. And he would just succeed Joe Bach as a coach. So overall, his second stint in Pittsburgh left a whole lot to the imagination. We don't really need to talk a whole lot about it. Other, his team went 7-25-1, and one, and that's a pretty bad record. However, it did start off with a bang. On the opening kickoff, he took that sucker 92 yards to the house, to the hizzy. And we thinking, this is going to be awesome. We've got Johnny Blood on our team, and we're good to go. However, it took a nosedive, and it, like I said, they had a 7-25-1 record. But that doesn't matter. He was most famous for playing with the Green Bay Packers. And sometime along around the bout, sir, I don't know when it came out, but there was a quote where they had from him. And uh, Johnny Blood was kind of a, like I said, a character. And he said, they pay me to score touchdowns. The swagger, I give them for free. And speaking of swagger, how about you show your own swagger in DraftKings by signing up today? Start your personal swagger story today by heading over to thefootballhistorydude.com slash DraftKings for a free entry in your chance at glory. Again. That's footballhistorydude.com slash DraftKings. But getting back, he would serve in World War II, and then he would try to return to the NFL at the age of 42. But of course, you know, our bodies get old and brittle, and it didn't work out so well, so he had to ultimately finally retire. And Johnny Blood would pass away on November 8th, 1985, at the age of 82. And he was known as the Vagabond. And he lived up to that bill in his career outside of football and inside of football. And speaking of the Vagabond, there was a lot of different uh, occupations that he had. And I'm going to kind of list off a few of them, not all, but some of them that came from an article from uh, an old time Sports Illustrated article that came out before he was inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame inaugural class of 1963. And like I said, there are too many to list here, but here were some. He was a stick man in a gambling house, a miner, a farmhand, a pick and shovel worker during the Great Depression, a sports writer, a hotel desk clerk, a seaman, a salesman, and so many more. He also taught history and economics at his alma mater, St. John's University. Then at the age of 50, he entered the University of Minnesota to work on his master's degree. But all in all, in between there, you know, earlier in his career, like I said, he tried to come back from World War II and play some football. He was an Air Force staff sergeant and cryptographer in India and China during World War II. Of course, he played some football in between. And even John F. Kennedy told him he was a household name in the Kennedy's home. With all this being said, it was his wife Marguerite that described Johnny Blood in the most accurate way. She said, even when Johnny does the expected, he does it in an 
unexpected way. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Football History Dude and were able to gain some knowledge nuggets of one of the most interesting characters in NFL history. Next episode, we get to hear about the career of another disciple of Lambeau, Cal Hubbard. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads.